So good morning, everybody. Welcome to Strategy Cafe. Um, I am Rosanna and I will be hosting today's Alembic Strategy Cafe. So I hope you all had a chance this morning to grab a coffee or a tea. Um, and then in a moment, I'll be introducing the lovely Susanna Braid Waring, who's here to talk about all things motivation and how we've experienced the past 18 months. But before I do, I just want to thank you for tuning in to today's session. Um, a bit of housekeeping. So please invite um, questions that we can post them into the questions area. There's a little drop down and you can ask those questions and um, cover them as we go. Um, but if we don't have chance, then we'll cover them at the end and we'll have time dedicated to questions at the end. Um, and um, as always, if you think um, today's session has been great and fun and you think a friend or colleague will benefit from tuning in, then um, there'll be a recording of this. So after today's session, you'll be able to share it and please feel free to do so. So um, here is Susanna and um, we'll be digging into the state of play and how motivation has affected us. Um, organizations that we have worked with and we are certainly seeing that clients are really feeling the need to engage in a conversation around how their employers are feeling what their needs are and how they've responded to perhaps the organizational changes that we've all faced so um without further ado i will introduce susanna so we met um, a few years ago through our advisory network, Mindshot, at an annual conference. And Susanna was doing this amazing keynote on motivation and how by looking at motivation in more detail, you can really start to unlock the performance of your team. Um, and she was just an amazing speaker um, and we've been working more closely with her ever since. Um, and um, Susanna made the shift from finance director um, to set up your own advisory business um, and you're now running that as a family business so with your husband and now your son Kyle. So Susanna welcome I'm delighted to be able to have time with you this morning what a privilege for me um, to chat to hear about um, and just share your insights so welcome Susanna. Good morning, Rosanna. Good morning, everybody. Uh, it's an absolute pleasure to, to be here. And uh, thank you. It's very kind of you to say um, such lovely things as well. <laughs> so let's get straight into it. Um, I think it's fair to say that the situation we've found ourselves in has been completely unpredictable over the last 18 months. But actually, I think we were saying this you know, pre-pandemic, you know, we were talking about the VUCA world, you know, for the last five, ten years, and actually the amount of change that we've faced. And when we were chatting before today's session, Susanna, you were describing this as sort of VUCA plus plus. And I think when we reflect on the specific organisation and leadership challenges that we've faced, you were saying that, you know, some organisations have actually found, you know, or experienced five years of change in just 18 months and actually that poses a question then you know how have people responded to that organizational change so maybe you just want to speak to this slide and um you know that sense of organizational change and the people's response to that mm. 
Of course, um, and I think it might be helpful just to um, explain as well kind of how I got into this, you know, so I think like many people, I didn't really know what my passion was. I just kind of followed the normal kind of route and, and being very fortunate as well um, to have the kind of parents and, and teachers who recommended them going to university. So I did ergonomics as my first degree, which is a whole man-machine interface. Um, which plays very nicely actually into kind of where we are now, which is if there is too much overwhelm, then the technology can cope, but humans can't cope, and then accidents happen, and um, mistakes happen, and people burn out, and of course that is what we have been 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 seeing. Um, and I really gained my passion for business by just ending up helping out my dad as he started his second business and um, basically picking up anything that wasn't being done. So all the finance, HR, the commercial contracts, all the IT, etc. And then growing that to over 10 million pounds of turnover and eventually doing a manager buyout. And that's where my passion for a couple of things came from. So the first one was that when you're growing a strong business, you can't grow that business unless you also grow a strong team who take ownership and responsibility. Therefore, there has to be motivation for them within that. Um, and then, you know, that kind of second piece really is if you're going to change, then it's okay having a great plan. But actually, if you haven't engaged people in your plan, how can we expect them to suddenly buy into something that they were never asked their opinion on, but actually affects them? So, that was my motivation for actually going, I really need to understand people. And as you say, Rosanna, actually, um, the more you go into that, the more you really understand what's going on for people, what's, what sits beneath that behaviour and that attitude. And the more, of course, that um, I, you know, would want to be able to, to understand that and to um, predict and influence that as well. Um, um, but, but obviously in a you know an empathetic way. So as you say, we've been talking about this kind of VUCA world, this kind of you know it's volatile, it's uncertain, it's complex, it's it's ambiguous um, for a long time. And that's partly because we have known the the scale of growth in technology has far outpaced humans' ability to be able to keep up with it. So there was a time, you know, long, long time ago when we could understand what was going on keep up with it whereas now we we know that we can't know all of the apps all the technology all the systems um because there are just too many of them and so you just have to be very focused um so but but pre-pandemic i'm looking at this and going we're in this world where we have all this technology which is meant to make life easier for us and better and add quality to our lives and yet we were experiencing the greatest levels of mental ill health. We all have mental health, positive health and negative health. So we're experiencing you know, the greatest numbers of mental ill health. We're experiencing the um, largest amounts of personal debt. Um, stress, you know, it's like how, how long can this society, the way that we're working, actually carry on um, at a point where we're it's healthy and then of course you know brexit uh, which has um had and continues to have massive impact particularly in this country 
and then COVID. Um, you know, so and as you said, actually, uh, there was, there's technology like Zoom that we were using probably seven years ago, mm. and and we've been kind of frustrated in terms of you know when are people going to you know start using this um, and trying to encourage them to use it, and all of a sudden everyone's forced into this world of having to adopt it, having to adopt it really quickly, and uh, teams. Um, but also, you know, forcing that cloud computing and going paperless. There's a huge amount of shifts that have been going on as well. Yeah, and it's about, you know, this idea of the race here, isn't it? And, you know, this, you know, the, the feeling that we're sort of racing to keep up with something, someone, um, and not really knowing what we are keeping up with, I suppose. That's exactly it, because the, there's, there's an element of, of um, we keep up because everyone else is keeping up, and if we don't keep up, then then we're going to be left behind. So, mm. but, but do we do we want to even be in this race? Sometimes we have to to step back and to refocus on why are we doing this? What's our purpose here? And if you yeah. go back to, to you know quite ancient textbooks now, you know, like like good to great, a lot of those organisations that in those days were were the best performing no longer exist because the race has changed. So for me, there's something about being very present and conscious about going, who do we want to be as an organization? What do we want to contribute and stand for? And therefore, what's our race and, and how do we want to run that race? And yeah. um, it's also at the same time, making sure that we're on the front foot, we're staying agile and able to adapt and pivot and change in the way that we want to. Yeah, and I think there's a bit of a, it can feel like um, a tale of two sides there. So, um, you know, on one hand, we want to be on the front foot, but how do we do that whilst actually maybe taking a step back and looking at the big picture and actually going, well, why are we going so quickly? Maybe having that time just to, you know, take a pause, revisit, refresh and, you know, think big picture. And that can feel quite like opposing things that you're doing um, but actually I think what you're saying is being able to sort of sometimes slow the pace down and just be clear what you're going after clear what what race you're in actually then helps you be on the front foot so you don't get sort of left behind so to speak and, and that's the role of leaders isn't it it's really interesting when when you look at leaders and there are so many films where we can um say, you know, look, look at the good behaviours that are being demonstrated here and what they're doing and how they're doing it. But in most of those films, those leaders um, very often come from the sport. They're not playing, they're not on the pitch, they're not in the race, they're actually being able to step back and take the bigger strategic view. But we know the reality is that leaders in business and managers in business, if they're lucky, they have half a day a week to be able to actually lead and manage to work on the strategy to be able to step back and to see who's doing well, who's not doing well, and what's working well and what's not working well in the business, and then move forward with that. Yeah. I suppose it brings us on to, you know, that's sort of quite a good description of, you know, the sort of macro. Um, I'm sure there's been lots of headaches for people um, over the last 18 months, particularly, um, that have been presented to leaders. And, you know, we were chatting about some of the headaches that leaders are presenting with at the moment. And I just wonder what, you, what you're seeing with, you know, in the work that you do, what some of the big headaches are and maybe what, I don't know, the pain relief for those are. Yeah, I think, I think it's, it's, 
So it's the same across a huge amount of industries right now. And I think one of the things that COVID really has done is kind of unified these headaches and, and um, the landscape. You know, the landscape was pretty much wiped clean for lots of industries. And we've had to kind of almost like redraw it and, and lean on each other to go, what are you seeing? What are you finding? What's happening? So across um, most industries now is this challenge around capacity. So with a real challenge around recruitment and a real challenge in terms of um, employee retention. And um, coupled with that, of course, then is predictability and, and, um, and absenteeism because, of course, people being ill, there's a lot of catch up on annual leave over the summer and the months going into summer, now going into winter, the, you know, with more COVID and, and self-isolation and the knock-on effects of that. It's this um, not only a reduced level of workforce to be able to deliver the work, but also the unpredictability of that resource as well that is, is probably the biggest challenge right now for leaders. Yeah, I've just had a question in um, from Nick, who's asking, what is Susanna's advice for leaders in increasing their strategy and leadership time from half a day a week? I suppose that's referencing um, actually a lot of leaders are having to sort of go in and do a lot more of the day-to-day -day because of the, the um, headaches that you've explained. So what advice do you have for leaders for upping their strategy and leadership time? It depends on what is causing them to be in the business um, so much. And, um, and, and I can only sort of give you a couple of examples. So the clients that we tend to work with, I call them ambitious and big hearted. So, so they want to, to grow, they want to do, to be the best they can be. They want to be great employers. They want to give great customer service. And that's part of the ambition, but also the big hearted because then they find it hard to actually be quite tough on performance management and quite tough in sometimes sacking some of their clients who aren't great clients. So there's actually quite a bit of waste in these organizations. And sometimes it's about going, you know what, you need to kind of bite the bullet now. Um, I heard a fabulous phrase um, from some, some colleagues of ours, Rosanna, who are in, um, also um, in the business advisory kind of group, um, James Lay and Mark Curtis, and um, they said uh, profits paper over a lot of cracks. I just yeah. thought that is yeah. spot on. Profits paper over a lot of cracks. You know, when the business is doing well, there's a lot of things that we just we just let go because things are going okay, we're doing all right. But now, when the when actually times are tough, those cracks start to open up, and we can't build on them. So in terms of you know, some specific advice I'm giving to some of our clients is, is actually they need to be able to focus and start addressing some of these issues. Um, it does mean kind of putting a bit more um, time in, but at the same time, they've also got to, to go, well, what am I going to stop doing then? And it may be that some of these growth projects, they actually just push back three months, six months, while they address some of these issues inside the business and really decide to tackle them. And if they're not allowed to, because they, they make that decision to, to not do their growth project until they've actually addressed these, these issues in the business, that's quite good motivation for getting them sorted. Yeah. Having to have a challenge, because if you can't recruit, then people want to hang on to the people they've got. Um, and 
I'm always kind of looking around and taking kind of stock and going, oh, you know, I'm very curious. You know, so I was watching Moneyball. So Moneyball is a film um, about baseball, and it is based on a true um, true story. Have, have you seen it, Rosanna? I haven't. It's one that I've wanted to watch. So this is being my impetus to go watch it. Okay. Yeah. So it's basically a true story where a baseball team didn't have the budget of the big baseball team, so they took the kind of the misfits, the people who actually had some real strengths but some very obvious weaknesses. And what they did was focus on their strengths. They were very, very clear around about you are great at doing this, do more of this, you're not good at doing this, stop doing this. And that changed the whole strategy of the way that they recruit talent. And I think that we can be more honest as leaders, who, which will then in, encourage our teams to be more vulnerable in actually going, you know what, I'm, I'm not good at this. So I need you to help me to work around this because if we can't admit our weaknesses, we cover them up, we, you know, and, and we get through it, but it takes a lot longer. Whereas if we can be really honest about actually, you know what, we're really good at this and, and not good at this, we build stronger teams. So there's, there's not one solution, Nick, um, but it's definitely around going, actually, let's address the issues in the business and then build on the back of that. Yeah. I suppose bringing the conversation on to um, motivation, um, one of the things that we, um, you know, have an early conversation with our clients is around, you know, the energy that you have and bring to the work and the motivation, but also encouraging that conversation throughout the, the business. Um, you know, and how you actually embody leadership and embody those intentions through, you know, the energy that you have and the motivations that you have. And I suppose one of the things that I was reflecting on, you know, when we were going to have this um, chat was around, you know, have, we, when we think about motivation, we think about how static or dynamic is that and has the last 18 months and you know the shift in the landscape actually shifted our motivations and you as i said at the beginning you know seeing a lot of appetite for in leaders to engage in this conversation but you know, you know is that is that because people's you know core motivations and beliefs have changed or is it just an environmental shift and we're just still working that out and that's still confusing i i just wondered what your experience and what you've seen in terms of has there been a motivation shift um, for staff, employees, and maybe even leaders too? Okay, so in terms of motivation and belief, the two things are interlinked, and um, our beliefs actually influence how motivated we are and that energy. So, can just recapping on some of the things you said there, Rosanna. Um, Absolutely, we have to have energy, we have to kind of bring that drive to the business and leaders have to have more of it because they have to almost carry the energy for the whole team and when the, the, the rest of the team are a bit down, the, the leader has to have that energy. It's also mm. associated with resilience and persistence and determination, which can also be called stubbornness, which is not necessarily a bad thing, providing it's heading in the right direction. So we, I think we all acknowledge we need to have energy and drive that's heading in the right direction, which is aligned with the business strategy and goals. Where does that energy kind of come from? So um, I specialize in a tool called Motivational Maps, which you are um, experienced practitioners of, and that is a, an analytic tool in a sense, which actually measures 
exactly what people are motivated by and the level to um, the degree to which those motivators are satisfied. So then we can tell actually, are they really enjoying their work? Is it fulfilling them and therefore energizing them? Or is it draining their batteries? And um, we've not had as much data as we normally have because of, during COVID, because of course people have been furloughed or there's been uncertainty. So, and of course people kind of pulling back on the budgets to do with um, looking after their teams. But in terms of um, the data we have had, it has not shown a big shift in motivation. So in terms of what motivates people, so we, we had some questions and I am um, one of the, the uh, senior practitioners, so one of five senior practitioners globally. So I have insights um, from a few different continents and um, we would expect Defender, which is the, you know, so sorry, let's step back. So one of the tools that Motivation Maps is based on is Maslow's hierarchy of needs and it starts with security at the bottom, belonging, um, feeling valued, moving into um, um, being motivated by money and um, authority, so being in charge, knowledge, innovation, freedom, and at the top about making a difference um, and having meaning and purpose. So we wondered whether actually people would revert more to the bottom of Maslow's hierarchy in terms of actually I need more certainty, more security, more ability to plan. And I need to pull those friendships around me um, because of the uncertainty of COVID. Um, we're not seeing that in the data that, that we're getting from the workplace. So people may want that personally, but we're not getting that from the workplace. Um, what I think we are seeing is um, a shift in um, what is important to some people. So some people have taken stock, they haven't re-evaluated. They have done actually, um, I believe that I can achieve my job and have more freedom. And that might be a, um, um, a want. So some people want more freedom to be able to go off and do other things with their lives rather than being necessarily tied to the desk in an office. Um, other people I think need more freedom, even though it doesn't necessarily motivate them. And that might be because they're looking after family and um, um, and loved ones, and therefore they need to have more flexibility. And it's the thing that's important for us as employers to understand the difference between the two, whether it's the need um, or something that actually motivates them. Yeah, and I, I suppose what I'm just thinking about is, you know, there's the assumption and go, okay, we've all had a massive shift, so we all might be motivated by something different or not. Um, but actually, it's just an assumption that we have, and until we go and, you know ask the question um, in a really open and friendly and gentle way you actually don't really know and I think sort of having those measure points are really helpful just to, to make sure and even where there's perhaps as you're saying not being as much of a shift in direction maybe as much as you might think actually the specifics of that might have changed so flexibility or um, you know, change might have meant something different to that person two years ago. It means something different now, um, perhaps. I suppose it kind of leads on to what you described as uh, the performance triangle, and it's about how motivation actually speaks to performance. And it's not the only 
um, component, is it? So there are other things at play. Perhaps you'd just like to speak to um, the other two points that are part of your performance triangle. Yeah, I'd love to because for me, um, I, I, some of this stuff is so intangible that um, it's hard to kind of get a, a grasp on. Whereas models like this make it much easier to, to simplify and to, kind of, to, to get a shared understanding around. So there are three core components of performance. There's the direction, which is our strategy, our vision, our mission, our MKRs, so our objectives and key results, um, KPIs, and that should translate therefore into departmental objectives to specific job roles and responsibilities and expected outcomes. So that's all the direction piece. We spend a lot of time, a lot of energy on the capability piece. And within the capability, I've added not just skills, but also well-being and resources. So we need to be able to have the skills to be able to achieve our direction. And things like skills matrices are really useful there to map out the skills required versus the skills actually that individuals have got and a team has got. We also need to have resources. So it may well be, you know, you and I have the skill to have this conversation with Anna, but actually if the IT lets us down, we don't have the resources, we can't perform. And then we have to have the well-being. So do we have enough physical and mental well-being as well to be able to perform? And this is kind of where that mental health, the stress, looking after ourselves physically also helps as well. But the third element to this is the one that is most intangible and therefore the one that's most untapped because we'll all have examples of people who they know what to do they have the skills to do it but they have very little interest or will to actually do that particular task so motivation is the third element to to performance and what is motivation is is energy is drive but energy and drive to achieve what? Is to fulfill our own needs and wants. So um, in that performance, so um, Rosanna's just gonna share another slide here in terms of you know, what feeds motivation. Well, if our motivation are our needs and wants, and if we believe that our needs and wants um, will be achieved by delivering that direction, then we have a win-win between the organization and the individual. And that's massively important. We have this win-win. Um, and then those needs and wants come in those nine different kind of flavors, which are this expanded version of Maslow's hierarchy. So security, innovation, money, authority, desire to make a difference, etc. But what sits behind that are our beliefs. And so in, there's, um, in this diagram where there are two different uh, triangles, pyramids, the one on the left-hand side is one of direction, capability, and motivation. The one on the right-hand side, then, is what's the source of motivation? 20% of it comes from our personality, which is pretty much fixed and in the past. 80% comes from our beliefs. So our beliefs which um, about what's happening right now forms our self-concept. So based on the evidence of, of what I'm seeing, feeling, hearing, I have an understanding of who I am but also my expectations and my future beliefs. And linking those two triangles is a reward strategy. So if making a difference is important to me, and I believe that in this job, I can actually make a difference, 
I need to have some feedback to actually know that I am making a difference. And making a difference means so many things to so many different people. So you're right, Roseanne, you need to have a conversation going. So what I can see making a difference is important to you, but how will you know when you're making a difference? What does that look like for you in this particular role? And so we need to be able to have that feedback mechanism that goes, I believe I can achieve this in this, in this role with this organisation. Um, am I actually achieving it or not? And when we believe we're achieving it, when we get the feedback, then we have a strong belief and that uh, results in strong energy, strong drive. Absolutely. I'm just going to take a pause because we're coming up to nine o'clock. So just please um, pile in your questions into the questions area and we will cover them. We've just got a couple more slides and then we'll come to questions. So please just pile in. Uh, we'd be happy to answer them. So I suppose taking this theory and these sort of concepts, um, what can we actually do about that so what can we take away from today's conversation what can you guys take away and really actually start thinking about this in a little bit more detail so um we um have got a checklist here um and we thought perhaps take a headache that you are experiencing um a leadership challenge that you're um having and you're um thinking about these different high performance areas and let's just do a bit of a gap analysis on that so um vision and goals um have you got clear goals have you set yourself goals do your team have clear goals on what they're trying to achieve are there agreed expectations is it clear who needs to do what? Are roles properly documented? Um, skills. So do you have the skills to be able to um, get this done properly, quickly, efficiently, and with good quality? You know, are things being done? Um, you know, are you meeting your current well-being needs? Um, how are you measuring that? Um, the resources you know what resources do you need and how are you you know what do you need is there anything missing um i know that that's maybe a big um thing for people at the moment in terms of either supply chain or you know people resources um and then we have aligned motivations so how can the goals of the organization fulfill the team's motivation um and then the reward strategy so is there a feedback you know is there a reward strategy for those you know their core motivators uh, do you know when you're getting feedback around your motivations so this is a nice gap analysis just to give you a sense of where you're at and maybe what needs a focus on here and really we're thinking about how do we measure those things um so um you know vision and goals you know do you have you got those written down somewhere those goals for yourself um agreed expectations you know are people delivering on those expectations how often do they get delivered on time um skills you know are there errors um being shown um well-being you know how are you measuring that? You know, one measure is around absenteeism, and there are other sort of pulse checks that you can do around well-being. Um, perhaps resources comes to sort of how efficient things are being done. You know, are things taking longer than usual? 
Um, and then align motivation and reward strategies is really where motivational maps come in and really give you a sense of how aligned the team's motivation is against the organisational goals and also how fulfilled people are in their own motivations. So it's just providing you a nice checklist here just to take away and give you a sense of where you're at. Yeah, um, that's great, Rosanna. I think, you know, I think, as you say, you have to be able to take something practical away from this. So I think if there's anything that I was going to recommend, it would be just um, a sense of the context in terms of how fast things are moving and just reflecting on actually, do you want to move at that pace? Are you in the right race? The second one is around um, everybody is struggling right now with um, the workforce, with the team in terms of being able to recruit, in terms of that kind of predictability, and that people are just feeling tired. So if that's what you're experiencing and well, and maybe you're having a higher than normal staff turnover, it's kind of normal. It doesn't mean it's good or desirable, but at least you know you can get a sense that it's not just you, it's more industry-wide. And then that third takeaway for me would be that performance triangle. And as Rosanna said, actually just going, if we need to make sure we've got direction, capability and motivation, you know, where are we in terms of our vision? You know, are we on track? Are we not? If not, how clear is the goal? How clear is the expectation on outcomes and behaviour? Where are we on capability? And actually, do we know what our people want and need? And you know, they may have signed up to a job, but if the job has changed, how we're yeah. delivering has changed, and perhaps what they want and need has also changed, are we still in alignment? And we need yeah. to have a conversation around that to make sure we understand what they want and need from their job, and also make sure they're getting that feedback, whatever that looks like, whether that's more authority or decision-making, being asked their opinions, getting more feedback, they're making a difference some level of um, security they're getting that feedback to go this works for me and my needs and wants are being met in this job yeah it sort of brings us on to the the question of you know what's the organization's role versus what's the individual's role in motivation and you know what can organizations do um i suppose just before i do that maybe it's just worth sort of just coming back to this and you know there's a now there's a where and there's a gap so on this checklist you know take it away we can send you a pdf but you know really honestly score where you are now um um where do you want to be in six months time a year's time you know what are you and where are the gaps then that are forming and then be really clear around okay what's the one thing that you can do to reduce that gap so maybe there's one action under each and really start to go okay we've got a sense of a bit of a motivation gap or a performance gap or whatever your you know your headache is but actually okay let's go through this checklist and bring a bit of granularity to actually where we are now and the honesty around that you know the ambition for what that could be um, and then just a simple one action under each might just give you one thing to take away with today so I suppose then what do organizations um you know offer what's their responsibility and you know what's their role um is sort of an interesting question when we're thinking about motivation specifically um and this was your slide Susanna so I'll let you talk to this yeah so I think um 
what we know from the data is that people choose their their, their roles but also the organization they work for based on their needs and wants so typically we will see a lot more motivation around defender being in corporates because a corporate provides that long-term security you can go in there you can stay in the organization there is a career plan there's a good pension all those kind of things whereas people who want more kind of freedom um, will tend to be more in the um, creative kind of space and um, even interestingly someone was saying to me yesterday more like maybe the legal profession um, lacks a bit more of that kind of freedom as well I also see creativity there, that ability to be able to come up with solutions and ideas that nobody else has. Um, and this example down here, um, for me, is just a, a fabulous example where the army uh, was struggling to recruit. This is several years ago. And they, they worked out one of, the, one of the things they offer, one of the qualities they offer to people is a sense of belonging. And so they ran job adverts based on this is belonging. And all of the imagery conveyed that sense of what belonging means. And the army deliberately recruits people who perhaps have felt they've never belonged. They've been a bit of a misfit, a bit outside of society. And they crave that sense of being included, involved, one of the team. Um, so they're very clear on that and, and their recruitment shot up. But the slide here is kind of giving, if we're plugging ourselves in, we have to take responsibility for understanding our own needs and wants. So if this person here is trying to plug themselves in and they're looking for belonging, but the organization or the team is all around innovation, they're not going to get charged up, therefore they're not going to get motivated, and therefore they're not going to perform, and at some point they're going to fall out. People who are innovative quite often need to run at a pace and with the ideas that means they're more likely to be working on their own, whereas someone who loves belonging is more likely to really thrive on teamwork. And so those two things can be incompatible. So there is a responsibility on both the employer and the employee to understand what do we both want and actually is there alignment that we can fulfill this? You know, literally, you know, does that um, can we charge your batteries here? Yeah, we've had a question come in that she's asking, how do you know when you need to align people's motivation within the business more? Um, are there sort of, you know, classic trigger points that you spot when actually maybe the plug and the plug socket aren't quite aligned? How, how do you know when you Perform need to do? Performance, you know, so um, example, uh, right now, I mean, a classic one is, you know, someone said yesterday to me, um, when we've got overtime going, if our, if members of our team want the extra money, then they'll do the overtime. When they don't, they won't do it. Now, that's one example, but you scale that up and you go, if you've got people who are actually, you're expecting to hit certain financial targets, but they're not that motivated by money, then actually, you know, how do you incentivize them encourage them enthuse them to go after those bigger kind of sales targets which the, the organization needs to be able to thrive and support its customers and and, and 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 team members if they're not motivated by money so um you know in that particular case they're more motivated by freedom so you're going to go right how do we actually help them achieve what they want and what we want by creating a win-win so it yeah. comes down to performance and it comes down to that you're not seeing the behaviors that you want to be able to see 
And why is that? There's a lack of alignment. Yeah, and I suppose that it's about the the leadership's role in um, creating the space to have those conversations and opening those up. So it's um, dynamic conversations, um, you know, before it gets to poor performance, I suppose, you know, to create in the it's environment. Not it's not simple, but there are there are ways and there are means of getting there. And it can be actually, um, and it has to be part of the culture. You know, so yeah. you know, for me, culture is just a, a word of saying, how are things done around here? You've got to define the culture and it has to have these clear expectations I think that we reward people too easily. We give people more trust, more flexibility before they necessarily have um, showed that they um, know what to do with that. Um, and then, of course, if they're not performing, we then take it away from them, which is a penalty. Whereas yeah. if we were very much clear around our expectations and when they're going to move to the next level, um, not necessarily in terms of promotion, but just in terms of more delegated trust and authority, um, actually we can motivate them and give them more of what they want as I said it's about creating a win-win yeah so I just want to leave some time for some uh, further questions so I'll, I'll move the slides on just to wrap up for today but um, please um, we'll be um, we will have a few minutes just for some final questions um, so just summing up from today then you know we've discussed the importance of aligning the pace of change that organisations have felt between the organisations and their employees. We've discussed some of the common leadership headaches and what can be done and also provided a checklist, you know, for really digging into where the gaps might be. So I just really challenge you all, you've all come in and listened today and we're really grateful to have you on. Um, what's the one thing that you will act on from today? What are you going to take away and commit to yourself for doing and maybe trying and doing differently? So um, that's our summary. Um, we have a next strategy coming up, uh, strategy cafe coming up. I think it's going to be in November. Um, um, and um, but the date and content will be coming soon so just keep an eye out in your inbox and uh, we'll confirm the date for you um, but you can register to join in on that link below so just make sure you're signed up for the uh, mailing list um, and you'll get all the notifications when it's um, when the date's live so we can just come to final questions then um, Okay, so Sarah is asking, um, when there is so much talk about suffering and wellness right now, why is people's defender motivation, so that security and belonging motivation, why is that not coming up more? Do you have any thoughts on, on that, Susanna? The, the, it's a really interesting one because um, it, the defender motivator, they're not necessarily linked. So wellness and kind of suffering, um, if you look at the performance triangle, there, there are arrows, double-headed arrows in between them. So whatever we're motivated by, if that's being fulfilled, then that actually um, plays into our strengths and our well-being and our confidence. You know, so um, whatever we're being motivated down by here, so and, and a common one is purpose. So 80% of people we've mapped, 80% are motivated by search, which is making a difference, purpose, 
and having work that's meaningful. So that's quite an easy one for employers and managers to kind of tap into and make, help people make sure that they um, they explain why, explain the difference that the person's contributing is making, but also does the feedback piece. So whatever it is that we're, that we're motivated by, if we're being able to fulfil it, it, it feeds our well-being and that kind of level of, um, as I say, resilience and mental um, well-being. Where this kind of you know service point around kind of you know suffering and kind of struggling comes from is more a lack of belief that we can actually make a difference, a lack of belief that we can actually achieve the direction that we can keep up. Um, so it's more about the lack of belief that, that that we can achieve this, and that comes down from you know to that very clear direction, the expectation, the consequences as well. I was talking to a company yesterday; um, they're struggling with that. But that's because um, some of the people they work with, um, client-wise, are um, they, they need to understand that that you know we are going to be able to make a difference to these people, and we need to have some certainty around what's going to happen to these people. And if these people aren't um, being very challenging, then actually we need to know that that we're safe as well. So, so it's, it's less about actually um, a massive need for security, but actually whatever level of defender security they've got, that bit needs to be kind of ticked off. Yeah. Um, does, that make, does that make sense? You know, we've all got all nine, but in very different quantities. You know? So some people have got a massive need for security and certainty. Some people, just, they just need a pinch of that. But whatever they want, they need to know it's being fulfilled. Yeah, that's fantastic. Thank you, Susanna. I think um, we're up to 9.15 and um, I think that's all for the questions. So just, um, Susanna, uh, thank you so much for joining us today. And thank you to all our attendees for listening and staying on. Um, it's it's great to see you all on there. So um, we'll share a recording um, as, as we get it. So just to say thank you all for listening and to Susanna for providing some fantastic insights as always um, on our strategy cafe. So thank you everyone. Have a lovely, have a lovely day. Thanks everyone.